The issues that matter most, right here. The Drew Mariani Show. On Relevant Radio. A group of House Republicans is threatening to withhold support to keep the government funded if the Biden administration doesn't enact substantial policy changes to strengthen security at the southern border. A growing bloc of conservatives has vowed not to advance must-pass spending legislation unless Congress agrees to a list of their demands to crack down on record-high border crossings, as well as the influx of fentanyl coming into the country. The ultimatum puts Congress in an even more difficult standoff. The demands come as Speaker Mike Johnson led a group of more than 60 House Republicans to Eagle Pass, Texas, marking his first trip to the southern border since being elected Speaker in October. It's the Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. Yeah, we have a mess at our southern border, don't we? Uh, Yeah, I don't. I try to watch a lot of different media. Uh, I, I hope the world is waking up to it and we don't look at this just through partisan eyes. I really don't. I mean, in the city of Chicago, I know the citizens there are furious. New York, a lot of these sanctuary cities are really beginning to feel the uh, the financial burden that comes with it. My heart goes out to the migrant. I mean, imagine coming here and having to sleep on cold cement. Uh, you're used to much warmer climates, and uh, boy, it's cold here. Maggie, open your mic. I just walked into the studio, sat down, I was getting a cup of coffee before the broadcast here. And um, Maggie said, did you hear Mary Graham's report? And I did not hear that report because, like I said, I was still getting into my position here in the studio. But um, tell, share with everyone what you just shared with me. That's pretty amazing. So let me just preface this by I've been watching this unfold all day. Mm-hmm. I listened to Patrick Madrid this morning. Mm-hmm. They talked all three hours about the immigration issue oh. on the southern border. Um, Mary Graham just, you know, she does these little news blurbs and she finished this story and I looked at Miranda and I was like, what did she just say? She, she said a, um, citizen reporter on the border filming a group of people coming over, um, asked them like, where are they going? You know who they are. And this one braggadocious fellow says someday you will know who I am. Wow. Everyone will know who I am. And she followed it up with something like they they looked into this man and he was thrown out of Azerbaijan for trying to overthrow the government. Oh, boy. That's great. <laughs> and I'm like, that 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 escalated. Yeah, no, that's, that's not good. I mean, there's a lot of gotaways, a lot that have come into the country. And you'll notice when they cross the border, you know, they're not wearing just their, their regular... T-shirt and jeans, right? They're in a camouflage. Some of them are bringing drugs. Some of them are bringing weapons. And some of them aren't just from, let's say, Venezuela or Central America or places where people are saying, oh, we need to get out of there and and migrate north. Uh, They're economic migrants. Some of these are terrorists. And I I do believe that. They're coming from other nations that perhaps have ill ill intent. Imagine there's a nation that does want to go to war with us or sees a potential conflict with us in the future. Wouldn't it make sense to send your people over? Get in position, get those cells ready so that if something does erupt, you already have people across that border. I'm not here to scare you. I'm just throwing out a possibility. I just think, you know, a nation has a sovereign right to secure its border. And for the safety of all of our citizenry, I think we have to look at that. There's a big conflict going on uh, right now down on the southern border. We'll talk about Governor Abbott and the federal government and what's now unfolding there. I mean, people are talking about civil war. I don't see that happening, not in this country. You know, I don't think we'll ever see that again. But um, the Texas governor there issued a stunning statement asserting 
the state's rights. We'll see how all this uh, shakes out. But the border's not getting any better, is it? You know, in fact, while you know they were campaigning in New Hampshire, Donald Trump and Nikki Haley, they pointed to another border crisis happening. People are coming through the world's longest international border at more than 5,500 miles long. More than 10,000 people were arrested trying to illegally cross our northern border last year. Nobody's talking about this yet. And I'm not going to focus too much on it. But doesn't it make sense? I've said this all along for years. I mean, our eyes are focused on the South, and clearly you see caravans of people coming. You see the cartels. That's a reality. I'm not going to diminish it at all. But if you've ever been on the border of Maine or Minnesota or the Dakotas, I mean, you're talking some rural territory. You can walk back and forth between those countries, right? You don't have to go through a particular checkpoint. Um you're talking 55, I think it's 5,500 miles long is what I saw. More than 10,000 people were arrested trying to illegally cross the northern border last year. It's 11 times more than were caught in 2021. So, yeah, I guess I say the northern border, yeah. Coming across the north as well. And it makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, why not? I mean, you, you figure there's going to be a little more difficulty maybe on the south. One of the issues that illegal migrants are bringing, of course, is crime. Senator Roger Marshall from Kansas, he highlighted this on X. He said that uh, the other day he, said he listed 13 stories of illegal immigrants who have committed horrific crimes. So my heart goes out to uh, all you citizens of Texas and Arizona and everyone who's got to deal with this, all this other. And look, a lot of these sanctuary states are seeing it too. You know, there's, there's a lot of migrants being put on planes and buses and brought to different parts of the country. Now, the data is not clear on, on whether there's a crime spike. Uh, I don't know if that's the case or not. We're going to look into that. Um, but it should be clear to anyone. Uh, if somebody comes to this country who's not allowed here in the first place, and they're probably not allowed because of particular crimes. Uh, you might see some residual crime as a result of their presence here. I'm just saying. You know, other uh, Senate Republicans have called for changing the law on parole for illegal immigrants. Right now, anyone who crosses the border illegally and is caught, what happens is they're released on what they call parole pending a court date. And have you seen any of the video, uh, some of the, the cards, some of the things these people are getting? Uh, dates are sent for nine to 10 years from now, a decade later. So you cross the border, you go right up to the border, you know, uh, the patrol. Hey, I'm here illegally. Okay. You get processed. Here's your court date. Okay. So now you've got a court date. You, they showed this on camera. I was stunned. A decade later, you know, a decade later, you know, so, uh, you know, you and I are going to pay for it. Uh, it, it's it's not just, it really is not fair. And I think we need to get this issue right. It was the number one issue in New Hampshire. Too. I was shocked. Of all the issues in New Hampshire, talk about a northern state, right? Uh, it, the illegal crossing of our borders? I think the people are right. Um, the uh, Congressman uh, Tim Hillscamp, uh, he told Catholic Vote, I was reading uh, a piece that they wrote about um, Immigration uh, parole, and he and he said that immigration parole was passed by uh, by Congress as a means to provide targeted and limited and temporary relief of foreigners in emergency situations. But under the Biden administration, he says immigration parole has been radically misused to admit illegally more than a million foreigners into this country. So, what's the motive behind it? Right? What? Why? You know, in some respects. 
you know, when people come over and they throw a microphone in their face, what do you hear them say? I want to thank Mr. Joe Biden. Thank you, Joe Biden. I am going to be a good citizen. And I think there are a lot of people who want to come here and be good citizens. They want to work hard. They see America as a land of opportunity. You and I live in the greatest nation. Our parents or grandparents or great-grandparents were immigrants, right? They came here at some point in, in our history. And I think America is stronger and better when we've got diversity in this country, people from different nations, people with a strong work ethic, people open to life. So I am, I'm not opposed to that, but why would the Biden administration throw open the border? Why would they say, no, we're going to cut the razor ribbon? Well, you know, we, we want a hole in the border so people continue to legally target. I think it's about power. I think it's about votes. People think, oh, my gosh, and who knows what we're going to see in the future. Um, you know, how can they turn these migrants somehow in, into voters and into a base? We'll talk more about it coming up a little bit later. We'll talk about parole in just a few moments. But uh We'll say very interesting twist too. I, speaking of the polls uh, in in New Hampshire, and that primary just took place. Seventy percent of the people who voted for Nikki Haley in New Hampshire were not registered as Republicans. I, I don't know if you knew that or not. Twenty seven percent of those who voted for her were Republicans. The other three percent were unregistered. And for Donald Trump, it was completely the opposite. Seventy percent who voted for him were registered Republican. Twenty seven percent were undeclared, and the other three were. Um, other 3% were really unregistered. But Catholic Vote was reporting also that uh, Bishop Michael Burbridge, or Burbidge, I should say, from Arlington, um, and I just want to to support the bishop. I think I think he's right. You know, and I've been talking about this for days, I, f- I feel like. Um, the Bishop of Arlington, he criticized Joe Biden's pro-abortion rally that took place in Virginia this past week. And I'm glad. This is what we need our shepherds to do. God bless you. Here's what he said. He says it's incredibly devastating that Biden would place choice over the sacred duty to protect life. And he said, despite the you know what the administration claims, taking the life of an innocent child is never a choice. Women who are facing unexpected or difficult pregnancies, they deserve assistance that affirms and supports life, not destroys it. And that's the missing part of this equation, isn't it? We, we need to focus much more on that. We need to let women know in crisis pregnancies that they are loved, they'll be cared for, they'll get through this. You don't have to abort your child. But boy, I'll tell you what, the, the, this, this party, you know, it's, they're all about death and they're all about open borders and a lot of other policies that you just, they almost seem anti-American, right? Anti-life, anti-what America should be all about. You know, back in, in November, the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops added a statement in their documents on Catholic you know, political responsibilities. And, you know, one of the things that I'm going to talk about in the days ahead, we're not going to do it today, but I, somebody wrote to me last night and I read the email and said, hey, it's hard as Catholics. Can you tell us, you know, how we should vote? They kind of want principles. They say, you know, let, you know, they said, teach a man how to fish is fundamentally what he said. You know, you can give a man a fish and he'll eat for a day. If you teach a man how to fish, you know, he'll eat for a lifetime, as the saying goes. Well, we'll do that. Uh, what I want to do in the days ahead, we'll we'll go through all those principles for you so that when you look at candidates, um, and even if they both seem flawed, you'll be able to discern perhaps where the moral vote will lie. And I think that is, that's really critical. But the USCCB, in their statement on Catholics' political responsibilities, they, they affirm that the central importance for you and for me, the central and most important uh, issue is opposing abortion in America. Right, the, the threat of abortion remains. The 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 church or the bishops say, 
our preeminent priority. They said the same thing during the last election. The threat of abortion remains our preeminent priority because it directly attacks our most vulnerable and voiceless brothers and sisters, and it destroys more than a million lives per year in our country. Think of how many 9-11s that would be, right? A million lives per year, yet it's invisible. So we need uh, to certainly pray for this, and I'm grateful for our bishops uh, for, for their voice. All right, uh, let's, uh, let's take a call or two. I only have a few minutes here. The number is 888 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. Terry is in San Antonio, Texas. Terry, good afternoon. Good afternoon, uh, Drew. I, I, I'm just, I think that, that the, uh, the point of flooding our country with illegals is they're trying to kind of lower the sta our standards of living. I mean, eventually that's what's going to happen with resources, schools, hospitals, things of that nature. And I mean, in, in my estimation, it's more a part of a globalist agenda to, to not bring up and raise countries that need it, but to lower the, the status in Western democracies. You see it all across Europe, Germany, uh, England, France, all being flooded with immigration. And they can't, they can't bring those people here, but they can sure open up our southern border and get the same net result. It's an interesting theory, Terry, and I'll tell you what. I sit back and I watch this stuff, and I'm saying, I just, you know, it looks like you hate America. These are just not good policies for, for our citizens, you know, especially if you are a president of this country. You know, you think America would be your first love. But uh, I think you're right. There must be some sort of other agenda at play here because I don't have a logical explanation for it. It doesn't make a, a whole lot of sense. But I'm grateful for your – but let's talk a little bit more about it with Hans von Spakovsky. He's going to be joining me right now as well, and I'll get his take on you know why uh, the federal government uh, would want to cut razor ribbon and allow what, what is clearly a crisis where you may have terrorists crossing the border – and where you are taxing and putting undue burden on on cities. You know, they are the ones that are have to shoulder the cost of all this. Uh, the southern border is a mess. If you want to join us, you can dial in, 888-914-9149. Uh, uh, let me just, before I go to Hans, I'll, I'll give you a quick snapshot of what's happening there with, with the governor in Texas. Uh, the Texas governor is a guy named Greg Abbott, and he made some pretty bold moves. I'll be honest. He, he placed the National Guard. He placed trips, which are, by the way, under his command in a park that has been just a major thoroughway, a major crossing point for illegal migrants to come to the country. Those troops uh, have told Federal Border Patrol, hey, you're not allowed in the park. And they've also been deploying razor wire along the border just as another deterrent. And they, you know, people are going to other areas that are easier to get in, so they're not coming through that park. But not just the park, they're also putting razor ribbon in other places as well, to be fair. So the Border Patrol started cutting the wire. So Texas, they sued the federal, you know, they sued in federal court. The Fifth Circuit actually placed an injunction on the cutting. But as you might have heard earlier, it was last week or earlier in this week, uh, the Supreme Court overturned that injunction while they were waiting to hear the full case. So back in September, just one more note here. Uh, Governor Abbott declared that there was an invasion. That's the word he used. An invasion by a foreign power into Texas. That's how he sees it. There's an invasion by a foreign power into Texas. And that should have invoked a federal response to help protect the border. It didn't. In fact, the last month, just to give you sobering numbers, 
The last month saw the highest number of illegal crossings in our country. Last month. Because where's getting back? There's photos being sent back to their neighbors. Hey, it's not a big deal. Come on over. Yeah, we got through. Check this out. Uh, my, my, my court date's not for 10 years from now. Right? Come on. You can do the same thing. It's easy. Just turn yourself into the, to, to the Border Patrol. Right? That's what's happening. We have the highest number of illegal crossings in our country. It's unbelievable. And a lot of these, don't forget, as I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of gotaways. We don't know what nefarious purposes they have. As Maggie was saying, one person says you'll soon find out. Um, now we're waiting for the nation's highest court to hear the case. I'm not quite sure how it'll shake out. So Governor Abbott has ordered more razor wire to be deployed. And he said that Texas will now defend its own borders because the federal government isn't doing the job. They're not doing what they constitutionally are required to do. And the governors of Oklahoma and Virginia have both said, you know what? We stand with Abbott. We stand with Texas. So let's, let's take a quick look at it. Um, Hans von Spakovsky is a senior legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation, a former member of the Federal Election Commission, and a great contributor to this program over the years. And it's great to get his perspective on this. Hans, welcome back. Good to talk with you today. Uh, Drew, thanks for having me. So can you explain first the Supreme Court ruling on the razor wire? Uh, did they say that Governor Abbott can't put up any more razor wire? I mean, what, what was that ruling? I, it, it broke down five to four, didn't it? So fill us in on what happened. Uh, no, everybody who is saying that uh, Governor Abbott is violating uh, the Supreme Court's order is totally wrong. The only thing the Supreme Court did, remember, the case wasn't up there on its substantive merit. It was just up there on an emergency request from the Biden administration to, to dissolve the injunction issued by the, the Fifth Circuit. This is the injunction that said that the federal government couldn't, couldn't uh, take down the, the razor wire. And all the Supreme Court said was, well, we are dissolving the injunction while the case is on appeal. And they sent it back down to the lower court. So the only thing that the Supreme Court did was say, no, the, the federal government isn't prevented from uh, tearing down the wire. But there was nothing in there saying that uh, the state of Texas can't keep putting up wire. There was nothing in there saying that uh, Texas can't prevent federal officers from going on state-owned property. So, so far, nothing that the governor has done has, violates the Constitution, federal law, or uh, court order from the Supreme Court. Why the Biden administration um, would would permit an open border? I'd love to know your perspective. I mean, some people think there's a global agenda here, or there, there's other the, the president's anti-American. I, I I don't know why. What benefit do they see? I know when people cross the border, they're like, "Yo, I want to thank Joe Biden. You know, we are here. Thank you. We're going to work hard." And I think there's a lot of people who legitimately are oppressed, or people who come for economic means. I think there are people who come for nefarious means, but. Why would the president want the border wide open? I mean, clearly the optics are bad. They're hurt, it hurts hurting his campaign. It almost seems anti-American to me. How do you? What's your take well, on it? It's a it, look. It's a combination of two things. You need to understand that all of the people that got came into the administration with Biden, folks who work in the White House, mm -hmm. folks who work at the Department of Homeland Security, the political positions, all of them are ideologues who believe in open borders. Yeah. They think it's somehow racist, it's somehow discriminatory to have closed borders and not to let in anybody who wants to come in. Then there are, frankly, uh, the more cynical members of the Democratic Party who want this to happen because they see all these illegal aliens 
as uh, potential voters in the future who will help the Democratic Party uh, stay in power and retain power. Uh, And that's why, for example, as you know, we have various cities moving to allow aliens, including illegal aliens, to vote. It's already happened in New York City. It's happened in the District of Columbia. It's happened in places like San Francisco. That is all part of this long-range plan of liberals, um, and and they're they're putting it in force with the Biden administration. See, that's my personal perspective, and and I've said that a little bit earlier. I, I really believe this is all about power and control and and the vote. I mean, people come here; they're grateful to the Biden administration. And who are they going to vote for, right? The, the man who wants to build the wall, or are they going to vote for the guy that, that you know, cut the razor ribbon? I, and the thought of non-citizens voting, it, to me, is just wild. I, I mean, <laughs> I don't have the right to go to China or to Italy or, or to any other country and vote, right? I mean, why should somebody who's not right. a citizen of this country and doesn't pay taxes vote? <laughs> it makes no sense. So how detrimental do you think this will be in the elections coming up in, in November? Does this hurt the Biden administration at all in terms of re-election? I know it's it's probably going to help the the Trump administration, the the Trump campaign. Oh, I think it will hurt the Biden administration. Uh, the latest polling I saw saw on issues important to voters is that um, immigration is at the top of that list. People see that uh, we we have an unchecked uh, immigration problem. And they are seeing this personally because, as you know, the Biden administration is transporting mm-hmm. uh, these illegal aliens all over the country. Counties and states all over are absorbing the costs, the crime, and all of the problems that this brings. Yeah. My guest today, Hans von Spakovsky. I only have him for a few moments. If you want to sound off, feel free to dial in. The number is 888 914-914-9149. Before I go to the calls, though, Hans, let me ask you about the potential threats to the country. You know, I think there's a lot of innocent people that come over, but, you know, Maggie, uh, my producer, was sharing a piece of audio that we heard right before we came on uh, about somebody who crossed over. And Maggie, where were they from? Azerbaijan, you said? They were... Um, share with Hans very quickly. They found out he was from Azerbaijan, and he was kicked out of... Or, like, he yeah. was... On the terror watch list? He was on the terror watch list for trying to overthrow the government. But there, there was a citizen that recorded him. I mean, he it was, was a citizen. He wasn't reported. stopped by by authorities. No, you know? it was just someone like on the border with their cell phone, just saying like, "Hey, like, yeah. where are you guys headed? And you know, what's your story?" And 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 he says, "One day you'll know who I am." He, oh yeah, he was very braggy about it. He said, yeah. "One, everyone will know who I am." So, yeah, do you have concerns uh, about? Yeah, safety here in this yeah, country. You think there are cells that that are going to perpetrate harm? Yes, I mean the the border is open. Every jihadist group in the world who hates us now know that the easiest way to get into the U.S. is across the southern border. Um, in the last, uh, I think uh, last year, they um, they stopped something like uh, close to a hundred um, people who were on the terrorist watch list. Well. Think about how many people they didn't catch and who got through. And that may not sound like a big number, but that is several times the number that had been uh, caught at the border in the many years before the Biden administration came in. And look, it's not just that, but it's the cartels are making enormous profits in human trafficking, human smuggling, 
and 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 bringing fentanyl, one of the biggest killers now, across the border. And the Biden administration thinks all of this is just fine. You know, it's wild. All right, you can join us, 888 We're taking a look at uh, the Texas government's uh, governor standing up to the uh, Biden administration, and uh, lines are now drawn on the sand. We'll see how all this, this works out. We're taking a look at the vulnerability that our southern border is now presenting and what the implications of it are with Hans von Spakovsky. Teresa is in Covina, California. She's got a comment for you. Hi, Teresa. You're on the air with uh, Mr. Uh, Hans von Spakovsky. All right, we just lost her as well. Uh, so, Hans, I'll tell you what. I've got to take a very short break. When we come back, we'll take more calls, and you can join us as well. Um, feel free to dial in. Everyone on hold, I will get you on the air. We'll unpack this and more. Both Virginia and the Oklahoma governors are standing with ta- Texas. Some people say that these are the echoes of a civil war. Now, I find that personally kind of extreme. Others say Not so much. I think it's a valid concern. Hans, if you got time, I'd love to get your take on that as well. Uh, Stay with us. Our conversation continues with more right after this. Your news. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. Your news now. This hour is sponsored by Ave Maria Mutual Funds, where financial goals are aligned with pro-life values and fund decisions are based on investment fundamentals designed to preserve and grow wealth without violating moral beliefs. More information at AveMariaFunds.com. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio and RelevantRadio.com. Hey, thanks for joining me. You're just tuning in. We're talking a little bit about this crisis on the southern border. Number one issue in the New Hampshire primaries. And it's going to be a big issue in the upcoming election. It's going to be a big issue just for our national security as well, my guest, Hans von Spakovsky from the Heritage Foundation. I only have him for a moment. I've asked him to stay just to share with you what he was sharing with me during the break. I mentioned that Virginia and Oklahoma governors are supporting Governor Abbott and his position to want to defend uh, his state from what he is calling an invasion. Some people are saying this is an echo of the Civil War. And my question to Hans is, is that a valid concern? I mean, we do have a state guard telling federal officers, you can't cross this line. Hans, I'd love you to share with everyone what you said to me, what kind of reality is. I I find it hard to think we'd ever see something like a civil war in this country, but but give me your breakdown. Well, what I would say about this is think how outrageous a situation it is. And this is all due to the Biden administration's refusal and, in fact, deliberate policy of uh, trying to bring as many illegal aliens into the country, their refusal to enforce immigration law, that for the first time that I recall in our history, um, a state, Texas, is invoking the invasion clause of our Constitution. That's never, ever happened before. And that sets up uh, a confrontation, as we're seeing now, between Texas, which is trying to protect the safety of its uh, citizens against the federal government, which is doing everything it can to endanger that safety. And so, yeah, yeah, no, no, this is a this is a real crisis and it is a crisis that not only Texas is facing, but think about all the cities, New York, Chicago and others who are being flooded with illegal aliens by whom? By the Department of Homeland Security and the Biden administration, which means they have increased crime. 
increased costs of all kinds and all kinds of other problems. Well, Hans, thank you for your perspective. We'll continue to follow up on this. In fact, I want to have you stop by again to talk about election fraud uh, in the days ahead. Election integrity is what I should say. And we'll catch up. I know you got a meeting to jump into. Thanks for making time. Anytime. You got it. It's Hans von Spakovsky from the Heritage Foundation. And, of course, you can join me too. 888 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. Uh, we'll talk about this just for a few more for a few more minutes. I'll take a few more calls. Um, I, I do want to talk conversion today as well, and this is a story that's not going away. But let me get to the phones. John is in Chicago, Illinois. John, good afternoon. Good afternoon, and thank you for taking my call. I just want to let voters know that if if you're um, going to vote for the Biden administration the second time around, if Joe Biden does not make it through four more years, your president is going to be Kamala Harris, and Kamala Harris. Her first and foremost job as VP, and I, I'm sure you can Google it right now, yeah. was to protect the border. And they couldn't even get her to go down there for months and months. And when she finally did go down there, you can see what's happening now. So I'll hang up and uh, listen to your response. No, and I could not agree with you more. I mean, we've seen she's the czar of the border. <laughs> it's pretty simple. Um, she's not done her job. She says she's gone to the areas where the migration is uh, starting from and trying to work with them. And it's not a bad strategy, but she's been ineffectual. I remember the media coverage on uh, the vice president uh, after the president named her the the uh, you know, the czar there, and we she didn't even visit the didn't even visit the border. The president didn't either. It's not an issue for them. That's the bottom line. This is not an important issue for them. I go back to what Hans von Spakovsky said, and and really my position. I I think it's about power. I think it's about votes. Uh, we're seeing states that want non citizens to vote, and if you can have six million people cross your border, you know, eh, so some. <laughs> Some undocumented people came through, some gotaways got through. It doesn't matter. I'm going to get reelected, right? Now, we'll see what happens. I, I'm very concerned about who is crossed. We've got a fentanyl crisis. we got the cartels behind this. You know, the, the, Mexico's not doing their job to stem this. They could do a lot more. Uh, but things can change, to your point. Uh, it depends who. It, it all comes back to policy. I keep saying it. It's about policy, you know, Will the Trump administration policy be different than than Biden's? Yes, probably. Or will Haley, Nikki Haley's policy be different? Um, we know where Kamala Harris and we know where Joe Biden's policy is on the border. You've seen it for the past three and a half years. You've already seen that. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, I, I pray to God, and and, and I, you hear me do this on the air all the time, and I invite you to do the same thing. Pray that our country is protected from degeneration, from disaster, from disease, from war. Ask God for mercy over our country and for the conversion of it. My heart goes out to the migrant because, you know, from a Catholic perspective, and I'll grab a few more of your calls here, there's a couple fundamental principles. You know, the very first principle of Catholic social teaching on, on immigration is this, that people have a right to migrate to sustain their lives and to, you know, the lives of their family. If I was eating trash in Guatemala and my kids were starving, darn right I'd try to make it to America, right? But the second principle is that a country has a right to regulate its borders and to control immigration. We need to get that right too. I live in America. I don't want some you know, reservoir poisoned or some train being derailed or some dam being blown up. You know, I, I don't want to see some sort of anthrax or some sort of other virus being unleashed by some terrorist element or our power, our power grid going down. I mean, the, 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 the possibilities are endless. But the third principle, and this is where this is why it's one of the most difficult issues for me to talk about, um, a country must regulate its borders both with justice and mercy. 
justice and mercy. And that's, that's the most difficult thing. That's why it makes it such a tough, tough issue for a lot of people. Stan's in northern Nevada. Stan, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Drew. Thanks for letting me uh, be on the air. Uh, I, I work most of my career, about a third of my career in the, in the military working that, that border. And I can tell you right now that you, you have a strange situation going on now with the left, with these, these Democrats saying that Biden should federalize the National Guard down there. So in yeah, essence, what no. you have is that you have California, you have all California, these blue states, the state pays for those soldiers and for all those resources, the helicopters and everything until the federal government declares the federal emergency. So you have all these guys in California, these states under operating under that mass COVID and having all these federal troops paid to do whatever they need, they're going to do for their interests. And then you have like now I'm going to be curious to see what happens if they federalize them. So the president's going to pay them and the president's going to turn them around and use them against Texas. I, I don't know, but, well, my big concern here is that about 19, about 2000, all of a sudden, this gubernatorial, the governor's the commander in chief of his armed forces, all of his National Guard started cropping up. And I always I, I said, there's no such thing. Article two of the Constitution says that the president's the commander in chief of the Army, Navy and the militias of the of the several states. And now you have these guys. You have the state government, you have the you have the Congress, sort of cutting their piece of the pie to all these state national guards. And California has all these airplanes, all these aircrafts, all these tanks, and everything else. Because their argument is is that we're one of the largest states, so we need one of the largest national guards. Which goes against what Thomas Paine and uh, those advocates said that they were suspicious of a large military and the national guards and, and the militias were only there to surge their proportional share of manpower to defend our economy, defend our borders and defend it against evasion. So I'm thinking I've been inside that national guard mm-hmm. and I was there when, when uh, Brown came into power and said, we've got to change the culture. And I noticed all of a sudden it was not fighting for you know, for what was in our Declaration of Independence, but whether we'll fight. And I, I really believe that a lot of these guardsmen in Texas and maybe Florida, whatever, that are going to that border, they're going to be faced with a decision. Hey, you know, do I disobey the federal government? Uh, they put me on orders for uh, non-federalized, or do I stay my loyalty to the state? And you have all these other states, in my, my estimation, waiting in the wings saying, hey, and you saw evidence of that when when uh, Newsom withdrew the National Guard from the border in, uh, I think it was 2013 or 14. Yeah. So I'm curious to see how this plays out, what kind of uh, court challenges there are going to be. I could see this quickly becoming militarizing that border, and I could see this becoming sort of like a war between the states. I mean, Newsom's economy depends on abortion. They've driven out all the creative job creators, and they need a military to protect that. Stan, what have the guys you served with uh, there say? I mean, have you talked to anybody about what they're seeing? Because it has gotten progressively worse. uh, Well, it's gotten progressively worse. Uh, When I was was ending my career, that was about the time uh, Governor Brown was came in and put his attitude general said they had to change the culture 
the yes culture. And that's when they started integrating the homosexuals and, 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 and added our military. So when I was flying around on my last missions, I was going to other states and finding guys that, that, that officers that I respect for best pilots and everything, they were going to other states. They were transferring National Guards. And you see guys that said, these guys will, and I told that in the 2013 uh, National Guard Conference of the United States, I said, if you want to stop military suicides, you need to get rid of this gender ideology that bases yeah. all your problems on sex. And I said, because Californians that are, you know, qualified to serve, they will serve for God, family, country, but they're not going to serve for genderism, and they're not going to serve to advance abortion. They're not going to do that. And so you don't see them join. So, I mean, you could see yeah. where they're trying to move towards a conscription where president's saying that, Oh, women, pregnant women can be fighter pilots and, uh, and they're changing the whole thing, you know? And so I see this all could conceivably form up because I, I don't underestimate the lengths that Newsom, that Whitmore, that all of these, uh, these, uh, tyrannical governors will go. Stan, thank you for the call. We've got 10 months. Till the next election, uh, what will unfold between now and then uh, will have political ramifications, and that's for sure. We'll see what, what happens uh, in, in the days ahead. And as you're pointing out, some of the battle lines are being drawn. I, I've got great hope for America, uh, and I, I pray to God that we get this particular issue uh, right. Let me sneak another quick call in here, too. I appreciate you sounding off. Kate's in South Bend. Hi, Kate. Good afternoon. Hi. Um, you know, this, I... I think I started at the beginning of the show, but um, I haven't heard anything mentioned about the fact that the Chinese own land in our country. And um, that scares me too. And I think it's, you talk about, you know, not invasion exactly, mm -hmm. but could any of you comment on that? Sure. I, I appreciate your, your call very much, Kate. Thanks for for dialing in. Um, you're right about China. They were, were buying a lot of uh, agricultural land in, in the U.S. And uh, the amount of, I guess, U.S. agricultural land that they have bought is, is pretty significant. Some of this has been positioned right next to military bases. And I know there's been legislation now um, in the pipeline to stop that from happening. The, the uh, congressperson from... Um, uh, from Wisconsin, Gallagher, very vocal about <laughs> uh, about China and what it's trying to do. The amount of uh, land that the Chinese own has been increasing in years. Uh, it's just a fraction, though, uh, of you know the amount of land that we have here in this country. So I don't want to act like the Chinese are buying up all of our particular property here. Uh, by the as the end of 2020, uh, I think the, the Chinese owned about 192,000 acres of agricultural land. In the past few years, they've been buying up even more. But uh, the topic of foreign-owned land or ownership of foreign land in the United States, especially by Chinese entities, has uh, been a point of concern for a lot of policymakers. And those concerns, you know, they often center on, I think, a really important issue, national security, right? National security, economic independence, the, you know, that where the land is, is located, farmland and military bases or infrastructure, no way. We got to put a stop to that. Several states have laws restricting foreign ownership of agricultural land. Uh, others don't. 
So there's been discussion at the federal level about implementing or maybe expanding these restrictions on foreign land ownership, particularly focusing on investments by the Chinese. Uh, we'll see how it all shakes out. I, I just think, you know, if, if you have people, we, we know there's been a lot of spying done. you got to keep these people away from our military bases for sure and from specific areas where we may have vulnerabilities with our power grid. Uh, it's, it's important to note that the situation can change, right? And the figures can vary depending on the type of sources you see regarding where they're buying and how much. But, um, you know, it's a legitimate concern. Uh, you know, I don't think we're going to see anyone invade the United States of America. We're the greatest military in the, in the world, right? But there's other ways to bring a nation down. There are other ways to take your enemy down. <laughs> you can certainly beat them from within. Uh, it's uh, about 15 minutes before the top of the hour. We'll pray the chaplet at the top of the hour. I'll come back, grab another call or two. I didn't expect to talk so much about immigration. I want to talk today about conversion. I wanted to hear some of your conversion stories, but maybe we'll continue this conversation. It's the uh, feast of uh, the conversion of St. Paul. What a great day, right? And God is always reaching out to us and calling us to convert. You know, we have to love our neighbor and, of course, love God. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more when I return. Stay with me. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. This hour is supported by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Join the nation's largest Catholic-oriented credit union and receive $200 when you add a direct deposit. Learn more at NotreDameFCU.com slash join. That's NotreDameFCU.com slash join. Okay, I don't understand. Only God can forgive you. Just forgive me. You are God. But you are a different God than the one I have studied about. This is not Allah. So who are you that forgives me and I feel forgiven today? And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's the Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. Sounds like Jesus speaking to Saul on his way to Damascus to put Christians in chains. Today we remember the great conversion of St. Paul. He lost his vision for three days, didn't eat, didn't drink. And Christ restored his sight, and he'd go on to be one of the great apostles, if you will, of the uh, of the early church and his writings we still read and reflect on today and would lose his head for the faith well who you just heard was um was a hezbollah fighter and believe it or not the same jesus christ that appeared to saul is appearing today to people all throughout the world the, the former hezbollah fighter he's now um converted to christianity and he said god did not design us to hate he didn't design us to hate I mean, we got to think about that when it comes to the world of politics, how your hearts can get hard and inflamed towards a particular person or party, or when it comes to the migration issue to somebody or somebody in your own life. We are called to love, and ultimately we are going to be judged on how we loved. You will stand before God, and that is, that's going to carry the most weight. This guy's story is interesting. His name is Afshin uh, Javit, and he was... Uh, he, he was on his way uh, to, I think he was on his way to Israel. Or he, was, he was going somewhere. He was a former Hezbollah fighter, if I remember the story correctly. And he was no stranger to violence. And he, he was on his way to the States. He was on his way to our country. And that's when Jesus appeared to him. And he had this profound 
profound conversion. By the way, he had like 30 illegal passports at the time. And he was arrested. He was put in jail. At the time, he was he was changing. I think he was transferring through Malaysia. And he was a dedicated Muslim who not only prayed the, the Islamic prayers, he read the Quran once every 10 days cover to cover. So this was a man who loved and was dedicated to his faith, right? And he was very dedicated in jail. He prayed. He read the Quran. And one day when he was in this jail cell, he was praying. Suddenly, there was this light, and a man appeared in front of him. And he says the man was normal size, but his being, this entity, it shone with a brilliant light. And the light is not a normal light because it didn't hurt. It was filled with love. And the light, he said, it carried, and I love what he has to say here, it carried an identity in it. There's something very mysterious about the next life, about the afterlife. Light is such a big part of it, right? Yeah, you know, the light carried an identity in it. The Lord promised anybody who spreads devotion to divine mercy that in the next life you would shine with what? A special brilliance. What is it about the light? Some who've had these near-death experiences and have crossed to the other side, they say even blades of grass, when they look at these beautiful, it's the, the beautiful creation of God, it, it doesn't reflect the light, they say, like everything else does. Light bounces off the ground, right? It almost emanates the love and the light of God. And he said when he saw this light, and the sayers, by the way, when they have their visions of the Virgin Mary around the world, they see this flash of light, and the virgin often comes illuminated. It doesn't hurt their eyes. Those who have near-death experiences often are drawn to what? The light, right? This light carried an identity in it. And he says, I knew that whoever this was, he was holy. And instantly I knew that I was not. That's what this Hezbollah fighter was saying. Even though I had prayed many prayers, I'd read the Quran many times, even though I had fasted, even though I had volunteered to work on landmines, I participated in hanging people trying to please Allah. I know even though I'd kept all of the rules, all the regulations of Islam, I knew I am not just. I am not holy. I knew the only thing for him to do was to kill me. That's what this guy, this is what the Hezbollah uh, fighter thought. That's what he believed. But that's not what God wanted. That was not. So what ended up happening was, he says, I didn't want to die, so I ran to the corner of the room. I literally, I hid my, my head in my arms, and I just cried out, forgive me. Forgive me, forgive me. I didn't think he'd forgive me, the man said. Because that's not how he was. He'd hang the infidel, right? He'd cut his throat. He says, I felt a touch on my left arm. And I heard the words, I forgive you. And he said, I felt the weight just lift off me. I knew in an instant I was forgiven. I, I, I don't know how. In fact, I'm still confused. Only God can forgive. But you just forgave me. And the man said, you are God. You are God. But you are different, different than the God that I studied about. This is not Allah. So what you are, what are you, he said, that, that forgives? You know what the man said? I am the way, the truth, and the life. And this Muslim 
Hezbollah fi- uh, fighter, this man who took many lives, instantly converted. And he just said to the, to the man, he said, show me the path. The truth is something you measure. Life is a source, but, but he claims to be all three. He says, I, I never thought of that way about a person. Truth is a person, and life is a person, and all of them is the same person. That is our God, isn't it? That's a God we're about to pray to. We're going to invoke in just a few moments to the Divine Mercy Chaplet. That man who appeared in that jail cell to that Hezbollah fighter was the same man that appeared to Saul on his way to Damascus. It's the same person that appeared in a little room in a cell in Poland to St. Faustina and came as a divine mercy image. And it's the same person that will stand before you and before me when we draw our final breath. You know, today I think about conversion, right? And uh, you may be far away from the faith and listening to the program. Maybe God's talking to you today. Maybe he is using my voice right now to invite you to come home, right? Maybe to return to confession. Maybe to forgive the person that has hurt you. Maybe you're praying for somebody right now who's away from the faith. Maybe it's your son or your daughter or your spouse. You know, God's grace is super abundant and it's there for everyone. St. Faustina wrote in her diary, she said that the loss of each soul, the Lord told her, it plunges him into mortal sadness. And the Lord said, you console me when you pray for sinners. So today on the conversion of St. Paul, let's pray for sinners, those in our family, those who are away from the faith. The Lord says, the prayer most pleasing to me is the prayer for the conversion of sinners. And my favorite, one of my favorite promises that the Lord says, he says, know this, my daughter, this prayer is always heard and answered. The prayer for the conversion of sinners is always heard and answered. That's diary entry 1397. The Lord does not lie. I stand on that promise. You got somebody away from the faith, pray for them. All right, you pray for that soul, and I guarantee you God will give them the grace of conversion. Don't worry, don't fear, but trust and pray. And that son, that daughter, that spouse, that person you love, that person you're praying for, they're going to get the grace, and they will come back. Lord told Faustini, he says, I desire that you know more profoundly the love that burns my heart. He says, call upon my mercy on behalf of sinners. I desire their salvation. And we're about to say this prayer. This is a really important prayer, and I share it a lot. He says, when you say this particular prayer with a contrite heart and with faith on behalf of some sinner, I'll give them the grace of conversion. I'll give them this grace. I mean, think about that promise. You know what the prayer is? And we're about to pray it. It's diary entry 186, 187. Oh, blood and water, which gushed forth from the heart of Jesus as a fountain of mercy for us, I trust in you. Pray that over and over again for that loved one away from the faith. God can convert terrorists. He can convert the most hardened heart. Let's pray for our own conversion as well. We'll do all that when I return. The chaplet is straight ahead. Invite one other person to pray with us today too. That'll be a wonderful way of spreading God's mercy. 